You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Do you believe in demons, Father Howard? Do you believe the devil can enter a person's soul? Hello, welcome to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Its purpose is to dissect and discuss classic horror films, both old and new. We are continuing our journey with the uh, uh, homage to George A. Romero. Um, and we're gonna. This is the first one where we're gonna deviate slightly away from um, what he was known for, which was the Dead trilogies, um, and talk about a little lesser-known film called Martin, which uh, came out in 1978, um, and it um, was, which was the same year as Dawn of the Dead, actually. Um, but obviously, Dawn of the Dead was the one that kind of projected uh, George Romero into the mainstream. Um, but we're gonna take a little chance to, um, or a moment to look at this film called Martin and we'll talk about what exactly the film was if people don't know in a second first up though should probably introduce ourselves I'm your lead host for the podcast sessions my name is Saul Moate and I'm joined for the podcast discussions this week with Richard Lovegrove Richard welcome aboard G'day morning woo glad to be here for yes yeah well Exactly, it's good. It's turning along. Actually, you were here with um, one of our more recent ones with the, the Day of the Dead stuff, and we were talking about um, your journey through the, the 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 dead films, as it were, mm, uh, in the last discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, um, and as I said, like, we, we're uh, talking about Martin today. Uh, before we actually get to him, are you familiar with any of Romero's work outside of the dead uh, films, or? Outside of the Dead, uh, no, actually, mm. no. The only real references that I have to him are through the Day of the Dead series, besides yeah. that, The Walking Dead. I was about to say that's the only thing outside, but that was because he was supposed to direct one of them, but wanted yes. to do Road of the Dead at the time. Yes, I know, which is still uh, one of those ones that's on the... I don't know whether that will ever... Be intriguing. Mater- yeah, materialise now. Um, It'd be like Steven Spielberg's duel but <laughs> with zombies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting take. And because there's there's another one too that's been like uh, skirting around as well, which was supposedly going to be directed by um, uh, by his son as well um, on on the cards, but it kind of um, I think that one fell by the way. So oh, I don't know if it's still in existence or not. Um, and I probably should know the name of that one, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, and I was just trying to see if it was mentioned in there, but I can't see it. Um, but no, it was beautiful actually to see this because, as you say, mm. it was sort of a deviation from zombies, but it was yeah. such a, a beautiful film, surprisingly. Yeah, it, it really is, and I, I, I still, I really think it's a bit of a forgotten gem because uh, you know, it's. I remember when I, I first watched it. Mm, may have been like six or seven years or, uh, or so ago now um and been really pleasantly surprised with it it's a it's a very um it's very typical of him with his kind of very uh relaxed style that he goes through with his films it feels experimental in places um it definitely takes its time yeah yes yeah, it's, it's a slow burner isn't it and um, no, sorry yeah, I don't mean that as, as a bad thing. I think no. that this is a, a film where that really works well. The same as I had got a lot of hints to Clockwork Orange, and where yeah, it's, it's so essential to the the mood of the and the feeling of the film. Yeah, I, I get I get your analogy there. That's a that's really good. The um because it's it's an interesting one too. So like I don't know if, if like if people look up on um you know they can look it up through Rotten Tomatoes or what um 
sites like that, there's a lot of positive praise. It still has quite a high, um, it still has quite a high uh, approval rating. You know, some it's up in like the high nineties, I believe. Wow, um, so that's really high. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, I mean, that was from last time I checked, which was a while ago. But um, yeah, people do, and it was like when it was. Um, Somebody like, it may not be Empire, so please forgive me if I'm uh, quoting the wrong source. But um, <laughs> but it uh, it was one of these, like, you know, top 100 um, horror films of all time. And it came in at, like, something like 86 or something in the top 100. Um, so it's still kind of considered, uh, you know, or, or seen as quite highly. Um Another interesting fact before we get into it too, it was the first collaboration uh, between Romero and special effects artist Tom Savini. And I know we spoke about Savini in, in our previous podcast. Absolutely. Um, Sex Machine. Sex Machine. Um, yeah, the first time these guys worked together, which is kind of really interesting. And you see that in, a, in some of the uh, you know, effects that are being used and within it, you know, there is a lot of... Some really cool uh, effects. Even like the first effect is so... I, I really like it because it's done twice. Like, you know, the first time it doesn't really work, and the second time it, it, it's a huge money shot. Yes. But yeah, it's so simple. Yeah. It's, it, bright colours, and you sort of would expect the whole film to be done in black and white. It's so close to that like, sort of Nosferatu uh, sort of feel. Do you know what? That was his original, uh, Romero's original vision was the whole thing was to be shot in black and white. Um, <clears> and it was the uh, producers that kind of told him, no, 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 we need you to shoot it in colour. Um, but he was able to keep some black and white shots in there, and that's the uh, Martin's kind of dream sequences or fantasy sequences that crop up throughout. Yeah, they so sort of jump in and out in that jarring sort of setting first, but yeah, reveals so much more about his thought process. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's never really established whether they're dreams or fantasy or you know, so there's there's illusions that the first you know the first time we see it is like it's almost like a throwback to. A past memory, even, but then because it is so similar to his dream sequences, like uh, are those past memories actually real or not? Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's a similar space he's in. It's the exact same space. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So look, but but uh, let's let's start kind of um, let's just try and describe Martin if we can in in a in a short kind of sentence or two. Because uh, for those that aren't familiar with it, it's described as a bit of a psychological horror drama. Um, and it's essentially like this uh, follows this, the journey of the title, the character, Martin, um, who uh, believes himself to be a vampire. Um, and it's never really established whether he is or not, like a modern day vampire or, or a version of a vampire. Um, but he believes he is, and so does his kind of great great uncle his cousin, cousin. <laughs> uh, yeah says he's his cousin yeah yeah who's a lot says something like um uh, I'm, I'm your cousin i'm not a vampire i'm your cousin yes but it depends i guess on what your definition of a vampire would be but you're right like yeah. you know, it's um one believes that he's a vampire but there's no magic to it and the other guy believes the full superstition of whatever yes. he believes a vampire to be that turns into bats and yes. can't be have a reflection it um you know cowers to a crucifix yeah yeah but then obviously you've got like fright night where he says you know you have to have the faith for the crucifix to work or yes. you've even got like you know i've been playing the game of uh, vampire ah yeah it's an awesome uh, uh, role-playing game on online and um 
that has a whole sort of new take or a very fine ta- finer take on the mythos of like echons and and, and bastardized species of that. So it's really really cool, but mm. it's it's awesome because you get so many. The way the film's set out, George Romero does uh, brilliant things in films where he just makes so many unlikable characters. <laughs> yes, he Even, does. I guess it starts like you know, on a train, it starts on shitty rail, so they're setting it up right from the beginning. Yep. <laughs> but they sort of go out of their way to sort of show you that there's no magic by yeah. the events and, and the cinematography and, the, yeah, sort of the way they, they play it out from the beginning, I, I, I feel mm. extremely haunting. <laughs> Yeah, it is. There's a there's a there's a disparity uh, to it. That's you know it's and 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 that's something that's tapped into quite a lot within this movie because there's there's a this ongoing theme of isolation and uh, the need for companionship um, yeah, and discovery. sexual fulfillment never quite being fulfilled um, along the way, which is kind of a it's it's makes it kind of even more believable, like I guess in a sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting. It really is an interesting film, and like you said, it's it opens with the the Martin character, and he's, uh, you know, he goes into on, on a train. He's on a journey, and then that's when they're in like one of those. So, how do you explain it? They're almost like the old kind of like sleeper um, trains that that you used to get. You know, you don't don't get so many of them anymore, other than like here in Australia where we're recording. You have the Garn, obviously. Um, and and trains like that. Across Australia or something. Yeah, yeah. the Indian yeah, Pacific. Yeah, they've got overnight cabins, and they're all sort of the yeah. same layer. Yeah, I've only ever been on them sort of once, but uh, mm. yeah, it's weird because it. I don't even can't even remember if it starts on Martin. It starts with a uh, a woman saying that she's. Well, I don't even know if it's the, the woman we're about to meet, but she says she's gonna run off or, or she's going somewhere, mm. and then we cut to him and he stalks this woman. Yeah. And, yeah, goes into a cabin. Yes. Uh, he looks like a young Stephen King, though. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, just look at him, and you, I can't help but wait for him to open that mouth and have those teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. There is a bit there, and that's that's interesting too in itself because obviously uh, the other great uh, working relationship that Romero had was with Stephen King. Yeah, yeah. So. I only discovered that when looking up like sort of photos and things like that. Mm. I had no idea because he worked. I think he worked with him on Friday Night later on. Ah, right? uh, he did. It was Creep, Creep Show. They worked together on, which Creep was their, show, their right. big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all right. Uh, yeah, no, Creep Show was the big, big one that they worked on. But he, like, he even um, uh, Romero even worked on um, the Dark Half as well, which was a Stephen King film um, cool. down the track as well, um, which is also pretty, uh, pretty cool. Forgotten film. Um, but yeah, look, um, it's uh, it's interesting because. Yeah, you're right. The, 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 he's very. Um, how would you describe him? He's quite meek um, in his demeanor, isn't he? He's he's very. He's quite a withdrawn, shy kind of character. Yeah, yeah. You're not sort of too sure how to read him at the beginning. So mm. he, he just seems like this small, not even going to cause you a problem sort of person. Yeah. But later on, like after this opening film, I sort of looked at him in a very menacing sort of light. Yes. When, but I, I guess certain shots are wanting to do that, especially in the next takes. But, um, yeah, you're right. He, he's a pushover. He really looks like someone who wouldn't be a threat or, mm. or is meek, is, is sharp. And, um, 
Yeah, and so it's, it's so surprising then to see him going into the bathroom and, and filling up this needle and you think, what's he about to do, in, like, you know, get high or something like this? And so he puts it in his mouth and he's going into the room and you're sort of like, oh, okay, this is crazy. <laughs> but what I love is that when, you know, you have this, this the, the daydream sequence that happens there in this idyllic yes. sort of setting. Yes. Uh, and then she comes out of the room in, like, you know, the uh, the face makeup, the, yeah. the sort of cake makeup with the hair up and, like, you know, but when she sees him, he's got the needle like ready to go, and she still gives him flirty eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Everyone still wants to fuck Martin, even though he looks either creepy or deep <laughs> <Eat> shell inherit. <laughs> that's it. That's it. No, yeah, because he's yeah. There is a, there's a certain appeal which I guess lends itself to that. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why I I wanted you to talk with me on on this particular film because you do have an extensive knowledge on uh, mythology and and folklore. Um, because um, this does, I guess, tend to lean, lean itself towards that uh, the vampire mythology of you know of um, hypnosis and and sexual kind of appeal that they're able to kind of lure people in without um, necessarily using too much um, willpower. Um, it's just a bit of yeah. charisma that they, they kind of have. And especially with this sort of film, you can take it in a couple of different directions, mm. like your perspective, I mean, uh, from when you, you could justify that but he doesn't feel like the magic's there, so therefore he doesn't see that he's actually manipulating these people successfully, yeah. subconsciously, or whatever you want to call it. Yes. Or that there is no magic and it's like uh, like a fart cloud. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Essentially doing what he wants to do, it's just not directly doing it. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but even like, you know, from that that whole thing, when, when um, Kudu, uh, Kuda? Kudu? Uh, Kuda, I believe, hold on. Yeah, Kuda. Um, he, um, he calls him Nosferatu straight off the bat. He does, And yeah. that, like, you know, because uh, I, I love etymology, and so I looked that up to find out what the word meant. And it's just a word that's synonymous with vampire yeah. in an uh, archaic Hungarian, Roma Romanian language. Yeah. Uh, and that was only really popularized in 1897 when the Dracula novel came to be with Bram Stoker. Yes, yes. It. And then when the film came out in 1922, the German film, yeah. uh, by the same name. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy how they sort of like you know tag these sort of little things in there and and allow you to pick out what you sort of want to because even if he doesn't have these sort of necessary powers, you sort of as a vampire spectacle that I really liked about this, you could say let's strip everything, even drinking blood. I was hoping yeah. that it was going to go into this. If he fell in love, would he stop drinking blood? Would yes. He, because he, he hints on that. He sort of goes, I don't need to sort of say myself so much anymore. Yeah, that's right. Point. That's right. But then everything goes shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, well, your kids, don't, don't drug women and like, yeah, drink their blood. Don't, yeah. Because you know, otherwise, yeah, you'll, you'll get stuck to nothing. Like your <laughs> Spoilers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the... Um, yeah, look, it's interesting. I, I should probably add at this point too. The uh, so Martin is actually um, he's played by John Amplis, who we've seen before in uh, Day of the Dead because he played the uh, the the, uh, the other Doctor guy. Yeah, so it was him. Yeah, also. yeah. Um, but he also crops up in Creepshow and Night Riders as well, which was um, more and kind of American. He's in Day of the uh, Dawn of the Dead. Um, 
he's a, plays a Puerto Rican who gets shot on the roof. Ah, yeah. I'll play a clip here if I've got one. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you find it. Um, cool. So, um, what was I going to say about that too? What I also love about um, the way they deal, like, or the or the way Romero handles uh, Martin's uh, attempt at uh, attacking his victims is that how clumsy he is with it, you know. Yeah. Like, every time we see, I think we only see him attempt it twice off the back of my head, but like both times are just tragic, tragic attempts. Uh, yeah. And you completely yeah. overpowered and then yeah. humiliated by them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, essentially. He needs to get stronger medication. I mean, for that second one. I yeah, mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so Dexter Yang. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, he needs, some, he needs some tools up from Dexter. The uh, So, look, he... Um, in this one, yeah, so as we said, he's in that kind of cabin and that's when he approaches her and there's a bit... Uh, it's a... Uh, an awful exchange where they're just struggling in there and eventually he does obviously kind of... Um, he does manage to drug her with the needles. Um, and, um... And keeps saying to them, don't worry, you'll be asleep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you'll sleep and you'll wake up and everything will be okay. Yeah. yeah. And then he comes out of the bathroom all nude with a razor blade. <laughs> yeah. You know, shit's gonna get real. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they'll wake up surely from that. Yeah. Well, in between that, they kept on like, the cutaways of the train. Yes. Like, kept on getting flashbacks of, like, drawn together when they'd have that, like, shot of the train going into the tunnel and it's just like... <laughs> situation that they just keep doing it every time and then he's going to kill her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, but no, then they explicitly show you everything that they want to show you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, so he obviously, uh, he kills her and drinks her blood. Um, and then, uh, kind of cleans, cleans everything up as best as he can. And, you know, then, uh, when they arrive at the station, maybe the next day, it's hard to tell how long the journey was taking, but kind of acts like all nonchalant and nothing happens. And that's when he gets off the train and he's greeted by the, uh, cousin or this elderly dude called Cuda. Uh, I wrote down John Anthony Hammond Quinn. <laughs> ah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, I totally understand that. Yeah, uh, they just get off a train. And he says, "Come, we have to get on another train." I know. <laughs> they walk away. I know, and then he runs off. I thought he was running off at first. Well, obviously he goes. He ends up going to the bathroom, and then and still joins him. So you're like, well, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's obviously indebted to this guy for some reason. Yeah, and um, those beautiful long shots of them just walking through the streets. At the beginning, I was going, "What are they?" lingering on for so long but then later on or, or re-watching the film you re- I really appreciated those moments yes. they were really beautiful shots of just suburban normalness and then the camera gets more shaky the further we go in it's great yeah yeah that's right and I, yeah it becomes a lot less um, unhinged and stuff mm. um, oh, that's right yeah the guy on the public loo with a, a cigarette yeah there's some there's some great little like cutaway moments in this film you know like some obscure kind of little locals that he kind of shoots along the way it's interesting yeah he gets a recruit later on yeah 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 um yeah so look they eventually end up at uh Cuda's house and that's where you know he's going to be put up and that's where we kind of have the um uh I guess the um conversation about how he's there to kind of room and board um and that there's another cousin there called Christine um, right off the bat, like yeah. he says, like, I'm going to save you, or if you kill anyone in the town, I'll know about it, and I'm just going to kill you straight away. Yeah, 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 
That's right. The crap. He said, I'll save you, and, oh, yeah, it's alright, you got to come to work, and you got to do this. And yeah, yeah, yeah. My daughter and my granddaughter will be downstairs She'll speak to you, but don't speak to her. Yes, and they, but they, yeah. he weirdly sticks by these rules as well, like doesn't he? He's like he plays along yeah. with it for a while, like a stickler, steak and all. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So that's all. There's a kind of a bit of a dynamic there, but and and through the course of the movie, um, Martin and Christine form a bit of a bond between each other. Um, and he's the one that you know talks. His this is where Martin then says it's it's magic. It's not real, you know. Yeah. And then so he kind of plays along with that mythology, like you you were saying earlier. Um, Absolutely. And you see him later on at the toy shop as well. Like, but he's looking at a, a little motorized anim- animatic that's going up and down, like mm. having sex and something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's got this this interest for great illusion. So it, it wouldn't be a far stretch to say. Oh, he's psychologically intelligent enough yeah. to put that so much far away from the side. But it's still, what's so good about blood? I mean, the taste of coins in your mouth isn't that good. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a chocolate addiction. I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, I don't know. I don't know, you're, you're tapping into a whole new realm there, my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, 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 sense too. yeah, yeah, yeah sex machine when he's uh, appearing into it too and yes. the conversation they're having uh, about him with no work and stuff like yes. that uh, and it just further distances the relationship between Christine and the, um, the grandfather yes that's right yeah and then that, that's part that's something that's played on a lot through there that's what I mean there's, there, this plays on there's so many um, disconnections between characters in this and I mean that not uh, in a good in a good way from a viewer's point of view not in a uh, you know, because they they are that nobody nobody can marry up or connect to each other. Um, there's misfires, there's misunderstandings between everyone, and um, yeah, you everyone's know. always on the edge of their toes around everyone. Yeah, there's no synergy between it, you know, and um, and it's interesting yeah. to see this kind of fractured world that Romero plays with within the film. Mm. But even like I was thinking from the beginning of the film when he's dropping off the meat. Uh, and yeah. there's some sort of awful cameos that are sort of obviously played by someone's mother. Or <laughs> but it sort of, it, it reminded me, weirdly enough, of those sort of 70s sex ed videos you'd get where it's like, yes. oh, Billy, I'm sorry, I didn't realise what you were doing. And then they had this whole conversation. Um, but it sort of played into that sort of feel, as you were saying, that sort of weird uh, portrayal of everybody else and, and that, that synergy being knocked out where everyone's play act. Yeah, yeah. It, it made more sense because then it made us uh, emote more with the Martin character because we felt sort of the reason why he's so stand backing and not really liking him. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like this is something that just was dawning me uh, just then as well because like uh, so Cuda works in a in a butcher shop and he hires Martin to kind of work with him and just to kind of explain what you meant about the meat. But uh, so he kind of goes around um, like a like a milkman would and you know bring the meat to the to these houses uh on order but is there a, is there a deliberate uh sexual innuendo there where he literally goes around to uh housewives delivering meat to them or just to housewives to seduce them to, yeah well, yeah that's sort of we only get to see that point of view don't we yeah yeah although i think it's hilarious the first time he meets the girl that he ends up spending time with yeah the mrs santini yeah 
No, no, that's right. But the ways that she <laughs> opens her door. Uh, yeah, there's flirting and then there's just yeah. no pants. Yeah. No pants. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Cause, and that's something that I felt like this film really taps into a bit as well. There is this whole kind of bored housewife kind of stuff that's going on, and there's this, you know, Martin is this kind of young stranger that's coming in, and, and particularly with Mrs. Santini, she's somebody that is lonely, you know, and striving for companionship. And yeah. she kind of is very openly flirty with him, um, and I and I wonder whether he's not used to that, because <laughs> um, he's well, very yeah. It definitely gets the impression that he's not used to it. Yeah. But again, is it? Yeah. Maybe it's all just how he's perceiving it to be. Yes. She's very um, uh, forceful, <laughs> like you know, as in persistent. That's it. Persistent. Um, yeah. But you know, I love it then too because then it cuts straight to. Um, Kuda, who's watching on, yes. has like a, a sort of expression. It's just like, oh, Kuda wanted that cougar. <laughs> <laughs> Kuda wants some cougar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is interesting as well because I just felt like that really tapped into something, you know, and it's uh, it it really played with that as well. There's there's an earlier film of um of uh, Romero's which is a little less known called Season of the Witch. Um, which was like his third film that he did, and it's basically again follows a, a housewife in like a suburban America, um, and she then kind of gets involved with the with the occult a little bit um, as well. So it's uh, it's kind of like interesting. Like they, he's it's obviously something that fascinated him a little bit around that time frame. Um, you know, like these women that were kind of, you know, expected to behave in a certain fashion. Mm. Um, but also, too, I think most of them, if not all of them, that they're married, at least that we know, refer to them, their husbands doing it, and it's so, oh, well, they're doing it, so why shouldn't I? Yes, but, yeah. You know, it was so blasé to them. Yeah. I don't do anything we, I wouldn't do, uh, you know me better than that, or yes. something like those. And then she's the one, like, you know, um, bumping and ugly in the fridge. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but but I, I also get, like, that was a very real aspect as well to put in a, a, a movie about vampires, like, you know, as in, it's not just going, oh, cancer or, or this or the other, it, it was putting a very domestic, yeah. obvious thing of, like, you know, infidelity and, and, and mm. uh, domestic housewives just sitting at home feeling like they that's all they can do and, like, you know, being put in that place. Um, so it did feel like it was both a social commentary, but but also maybe trying to find the fear in the mundane. Yeah, yeah. Not saying that it's mundane at all, but, you know, for the time, audiences wouldn't have seen it as... No. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, um, so, uh, he, uh, there's another, like, a little, uh, bit of a, a side kind of story that happens with this, because he, um, Martin ends up kind of calling a disc jockey to get advice on women, because he's he's struggling with it and he's very kind of open with the with the disc jockey about who he is that's right yes so um, you're saying disc jockey and i was imagining a guy in a nightclub <laughs> <laughs> and i was like of course the radio show the radio disc jockey yes yeah, so to clarify 
Um, keeps on saying, yeah, I'm not going to get caught ringing up a radio station. <laughs> I know, that's right. I know, I was, I was thinking that too. Yeah, it's like, not nowadays, I know, but it's... <laughs> a bit of a risk, don't you reckon? Yeah, just a bit, just a touch. Yeah, he's been alive so it's for, uh, since the 1890s or 80s or something like that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, also comes back to the flashbacks, because at this yeah. point, I feel like, you know, we're starting to get more and more of these flashbacks. Yes. But it's definitely starting to get a sense of a time period on it, and it's not the modern 70s sense that we're getting. Yes, 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 yes. Candles and stuff like this, but it's cool. It's, it's still building on this mystery. Of yeah, and yeah. Going, is there? Is it true? Is he actually this old, or is it just a delusion? Is it what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Like, I think at this point too, we've seen him stalking the housewife. He's said uh, putting the groceries into the. Yeah, room. yeah. That's right. That does happen. Yeah. So I'm just trying to remember whether he. The reason why I trailed off is I'm trying to remember whether he actually starts. I oh, know that start that happens afterwards. Sorry, yeah, okay, so he gets teleportation as a power in that scene, though. I do like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, yeah, just to pick up, yeah. So he starts stalking this. Uh, he gets like uh, the uh, the 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 need, the thirst, if you will, for blood again, and he um, he starts stalking this kind of woman who's at the market, like you said, buying groceries. And he works out that she's alone, her husband's on business, so he decides to kind of break into her house. Um, only when he does so, he discovers that she's in bed with her lover. Um, so yes. this becomes like another fumbled attempt. And this this is quite... It's, it's a comedy of errors, this whole, whole scenario, because he ends up kind of coming in and out of the house to try and uh, get away from uh, the guy and the girl. Yeah, um, the guy starts coming after him. Yeah, stabbed him with the um, and the, the, the stairwell. The, the <laughs> there's a point where he's also he picks up the phone as well, and because they're trying to call the cops. Yeah, yeah. So he's trying to stop them from calling by being on the phone himself. Yeah, um, pressing these weird like numbers from like you know futuristic movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, eventually, like he kind of you know is able to corner the girl. Um, and then the guy breaks in, but he's he he's able to get a needle stuck into him, mm. um, and so he starts to kind of slowly. Uh, yeah, it takes two for him, then, yeah. yeah. But it's just yeah, so slowly. Yeah. He locks him outside, and then he finally gets back to her. Yes, that's right. She still has enough time to struggle, not call the phone, but still struggle. Yeah. And also, the music is so intense in that scene. Like, yes. it, it sounds like Walrus is having sex. It's, <laughs> it's, it's that tribal, and then it gets into the, the drums and stuff. I'm not going to be able to so, take that image out of my head now, thanks. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Just, to think, uh, like, from that perspective, if you were hurt, like... You're having this affair, there's that, and there's suddenly this guy. I I don't know who he is. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, that that's the thing too. Like, because he immediately thinks like he's like I don't know the husband or something or other. Um, You're not supposed to be there. Yeah, not supposed to be there. Why are you here? And there's this great bit as well, isn't it? At the end, where like of that scenario where um, so obviously he ends up drugging the girl too. Um, and he and he rapes her as well. Um, yeah. And then we see him burying the the dude in the back backyard um, as well. Before he does, that, he sticks it, gets a stick from the side, and just pushes it into his neck to drink his blood. Oh, that's it's right. Like, full on. <laughs> just like, oh, just a stick from like a blunt one. <laughs> yeah. 
You could have washed it first. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. So it's another, like I said, another real big fumbled attempt um, at trying to kind of satiate his uh, thirst of blood. Um, but when he does eventually, at least like apparently, I didn't realize this, but when I was reading up about it, he he actually tries to be clever and goes outside of Pittsburgh where he's. Oh no, he goes to Pittsburgh. Sorry, he goes away from the town he's living in. So he does. He's savvy enough to kind of not uh, not eat in his back, own backyard, you know. Um, and so that, but he does eventually kind of start this uh, affair with Mrs. Santini, the the uh, housewife we were talking about earlier. Sans pants. Sans pants. Um, and she uh, and he starts losing interest in other women like you said you were saying that earlier on as well and his hunger kind of lessens a bit and that's what he's saying about he doesn't need to an interesting point of view to take as well like even if it's if the metaphor for the whole film is it's not blood it's just sex yeah himself is sleeping around with those people and then he finds love that's a cool other way of sort of taking yeah yeah absolutely he might even have that that ability to give in his whole this whole facade or whatever yeah, and if you look at it from that point of view as well, that makes the ending even more tragic. Mm. You know, um, yeah. because I mean, Juliet, really? Like, yeah, yeah, and we'll get to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so um, but like, yeah, so like the next, because the next bit is where, so like, you know, we see a we see a bit of a period actually where he is with her a lot and. You know, and she's saying, you know, how I mean, it feels like she's almost falling in love with him a bit too. Um, yeah. Initially, after feeling that sort of regret, um, yeah, she he gives her life, like even though yeah. she says like, "Yeah, you remind me of this puppy dog or something like this." It's yeah. obviously a lot deeper than that. That companionship, yeah, is something that she can only feel with him, for better or for worse. I don't know. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. And at so, that point as well, he's, he then gets was it uh, goes to church with Kuda. Yes. Yeah. We, I mean, we haven't mentioned that too. There were, we didn't mention the uh, the priest turning up to the house and um, having a chat with a rock and roll priest played by uh, Romero himself. Um, and there's that whole exchange. But then there's the old priest that gets brought in later on too to perform a, a bit of an exorcism. Um, and then uh, Martin kind of runs off and doesn't let them finish. Um, and getting flashbacks, like, you know, all, all yeah. in black and white, that's giving the impression that this has happened before. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, then we kind of get, um, we find out that, you know, Christine, so the cousin again, she's kind of, her relationship with Kudo is becoming uh, more, more uh, fractured and the distance between them is becoming vast. Uh, uh, and so she wants to move out. So she she kind of leaves at that point, and that's when Martin says, "Like everyone leaves, they never come back." Um, you know, so he there's a hint there of his own inner sadness um, as yeah. well. And um, so she kind of goes off, and um, reinforcement too of like you know don't worry we will stay in touch I won't yeah. forget about you saying all the things that like sort of he, he wants to hear yeah. in that sort of sense and even to the cooler saying like you know I know that sex machine <laughs> isn't my like you know uh, my life don't worry I won't even end up with him it's just going to be yeah. uh, a way out yes. like, you know it's, it's really it's, yeah everything sort of feels like it's smashing you in the face with the reality of the world yeah 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is where like the the wheels really come off at this point too, because this is where he he then decides to go on this like feeding binge in the city, um, and he comes across a couple of homeless guys, doesn't he? And he tries to um, you know feed off them, and again it's a this messy affair, and um, he kind of gets chased by the police because he oh that's right he breaks into like this uh, chemist place, doesn't he? Um, Shop, yeah. Changing his yeah, that was it. Yeah, he breaks into that and he's trying to yeah. uh, steal some stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just before that as well, what was it when Kuda and, and, and uh, Christine are having that conversation? I just yeah. was weirded out. George Romero loves seeing women get hit in these films. Uh, I mean, it's never just one slap; it's two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the, the cops are uh, chasing him, and he's definitely like you know the flashbacks of this happening before. And, and I really, I really like that whole play on that too. You know, like so, like you know, we're, we're, when we say the flashbacks at this point, it's you know, it's like the picket, uh, the sorry, the, the the flame, you know, the torches, and um, and it's that kind of throwback to what I call like the Hammer kind of Gothic period. Um, yes, yes, the Hammer Horror. Yeah, absolutely. so it's got that feel, and then then to kind of fast forward it to what was then modern day, and it's not it's not the villagers that are chasing him; it's it's the it's the law enforcement, mm-hmm. the police. Well, actually, through that sequence as well, I wrote down what was it: a razorhead American psycho, and oh, then yeah. bum Dario on the public loo again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the razorhead and American psycho—it just reminded me so much of like. Obviously, because it was black and white, and yeah. the way it was shot with the lighting, a uh, razor head when yes. he was running around the streets. But yes. um, uh, American Psycho, when he uh, is, a, he shoots the car and he looks at his gun like, as in, is this really happening? Yeah, yeah, and, I, I knew the bit you mean. It's that's like, right. Because the cops to... were so their moustaches and their glasses, they were like two identical cops, like yes. one's the T two, um, but they <laughs> almost looked like they were conventionally setting up the police to be that like a stereotype not even like oh cops are a little bit like this these are cops when you think of a cop bang yeah it's a, yeah 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 that's right yeah. yeah yeah there is that too isn't it because they they get killed off quite quickly and he he kind of stumbles in on like uh i don't know like a, a kind of a gang if you will uh, oh that's right the other pimps or whatever they yeah and, and there's a cool. big kind of shootout and everyone kind of gets killed except him and he manages to kind of get away um, yeah, that was it. That's so, it. yeah. Oh, nothing. Yeah, that's right. Because the question is, if he is a vampire, isn't a vampire, yeah, what would happen if mm. he gets killed? Yeah. Like, you know, he's in shot or, like, those mortal questions about vampirism. That's right. Does he sparkle in the sunlight? <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> um, okay, so, yeah, so then, like, he eventually kind of gets home and that's when, um, you know, we're back to Cuda's house. Um, and... He sorry he get, he does he, he visits um, yeah he goes to visit Ma- Mrs Santini uh, or Sans Pants as you say Santini Sans Pants Santini Sans Pants uh, only to find that she's committed suicide so like, this is kind of like real killer blow at this point um, I thought it was cool too that like you know if she wasn't didn't have a, a face above the water so it would be comfortable for the actress yeah like, you know, her only her cheek was above the water yeah and I was like that was really cool it just looks like it's still yes. in there yes. and I didn't realise it was Sans Pants at the like at the beginning but um, um, like you know when I first saw her I had to go is it her I think it's her it makes sense if it was yeah but 
right at the end, it made me remember because she has a, a, a beauty mark on her or a, um, on her face, and it made me think of the first scene in the first black and white cut when he goes into the um, carriage. Yeah. Is that Sans Pants? I don't know if it's if the first one is not a flashback but almost a flash forward. If you know what I mean. Oh right. I I, I want to see that again because it, it feels as if it's the same train carriage. I don't even know if he has the needle in the. White. I could be completely wrong. Yeah, no, no, I don't know about that. But the beauty mark that it might have been her. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. Or whether he's just drawn to a certain type, or is the whole thing just kind of some fantastic journey that he mm. goes on? It's interesting. Uh, yeah, because, you know, he's like. And, uh, yeah, 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 that's right. So, um, we then get um, <laughs> Cuda, then, you know, he believes Martin. Actually, kind of killed her. Uh, Wakes and, up in his bed. That's right. <laughs> and he's uh, and he, uh, like he gave him a warning at the beginning. He said, "If I ever find that you uh, kill anyone, I'm going to kill you." And that's what he does. He basically drives this stake through his heart. Yeah. And no, then uh, buries him. No, in, no pause. Just no. Done. That's a great. It's a great effect here. It's, this is very, uh, very um, Savini. Um, with the with the stake protruding from his chest, um, and yeah. it's uh, it's, a, it's a low blow, but yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To see that going in, and that's what's so good about seeing these practical effects. Even that first one in the train, that's what I mean. Yeah. Seeing it not cut through, and him looking at it going, oh, double blade or whatever, and then it's go bang and bursts out like you know the money shot, no porno. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, the real seeing. Yeah, it goes through whatever if, if it's carbon, if it's latex, whatever. But it's it looks so real and yeah. impacting, and we're connecting all the dots. Yeah, and yeah. That's what makes it so impactful. We don't need digital like uh, the, and the thing when they remade uh, that. Yeah, and they yeah. had the practical effects, and they enhanced everything with CGI. And it's just like sometimes less is more. Yeah, I agree. Can tell it's actually there. Yes, yes. But yeah, like I just wrote down, "Holy shit, Kuda! What? No!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took me completely out of by surprise. Yeah, because it just comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? It's just like, what the fuck? Seriously? Yeah, um, it was full on. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. <laughs> and then basically, like the credit as the credits roll, um, we we hear the radio kind of guy again, the radio DJ guy, um, saying, "What happened to the count? Who's seen the count?" Um, and. Uh, and we see on the image, we see uh, Cuda basically um, standing over a shallow grave. Um, and um, I think he sows, uh, he's throwing like um, garlic on the yeah, like, like seeds? I think so, yeah. Like some kind of seeds. Yeah. But it's funny because when I saw that, I instantly went, oh, I get it. So the whole, if you're like to watching it from here and going, this is what the metaphor of the film is about. This is just a film about Kuda wanting a long-term fertile garden. <laughs> <laughs> it really comes down to it. Who can I, what family member can I get? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the metaphor of circularity, obviously, but like, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was, uh, I really, really liked that. And yeah. Like, yeah, whether or not he's, he's lived on through the memory of the radio show, but yeah, it's, oh. It's good, huh? Sort of take me completely out of the blue, did they? Jump scares and nothing towards that. Oh. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So look, it's, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting little piece because it's the the cut that we're probably referring to uh, for the podcast was like around ninety five minutes, um, but the original cut that he did was like like around one hundred and sixty odd minutes. You know, so it's oh wow, 
Wow. It was a lot longer, and I've not seen that person. I don't even know if that person still is in existence or not. Um, but you know, it'd be interesting to see how much more deeper he would go into the into uh, Martin's, you know, um, journey uh, yeah. or what he chose to explore with that. You know, it does feel like we sort of had everything. We'd like, like it yeah. was to yeah. take you out of surprise when it sort of ends so abruptly. But yes, it, you do feel like if it had a little bit more time, it might have less interesting or you may not have felt as much for Martin at that point because that that was where yeah you felt like he says what was it Christine never got back to me and it's like oh so everything sort of yeah nothing worked out for you it's yeah 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 it's tragic so it did have a connect with the connection we not only left but like killed herself (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right ticked out um so what was your uh, so what was your final kind of thoughts on the movie? Like, what? How do you? How do you? What was your initial reaction, and then how do you feel now? Funny, because yeah, from my initial reaction, I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, it, it felt like a low budget sort of film, but uh, you know that can be good or bad. Like not yeah. for the cringy sort of aspects yeah. too. But I remember seeing Sam Raimi's film that he did, a sixteen millimeter film pre. Um, uh, Dust Till Dawn, not Dust Till what was it called? Evil Dead. Yeah. Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah, And it was just um, Bruce Campbell, and it was very sort of shovelly done, and it was yeah. sort of hard to get a grips of it because the story was, wasn't was really told with the cuts they had. This, it felt very easy, even though people aren't turning around or in the exact same continuity of shot. And, yes. And it's, it's filmed in the sound guy's grand, grandma's house, which is awesome <laughs> and you know I, I initially was turning around and saying oh like you know this clockwork orange house which is the um house that you know he's uh, the two the couple are having sex in the guys I don't, I don't know who he is yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Hooters house which reminds me of Kenny versus Spenny's house which <laughs> oh my god yeah. I'm having a massive yeah. I forgot all about that show yeah anyway carry on sorry it's so good I've been watching a whole bunch of yeah, yeah. You're talking about the black and white version, yeah. 1960, yeah, that one, yeah, which, yeah. Was, which was actually haunting. Yeah, it was it great. It's an like, awesome film. Yeah, um, it left you feeling like that. Same as like Rebecca sort of had that sort of a feel as well for me when I, I was young watching those. So yeah. that's what it gave me the vibe of. This yeah, sort of, yeah. Like not necessarily depressing because there's the idea of fantasy being there and just reality slapping you in the face constantly. But at the end of it, going the story that was told, yes, was like you know it 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 didn't waste any of your time, but it also didn't it, it wasn't it didn't need to be seen, you know. And I mean that the best way. Yeah, yeah. It was it was literally a glimpse of life that was so real to like in, in cinematic terms, you don't really get to see it a lot outside of art house films. And I guess that's probably yeah, why you don't yeah. see many more of them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, yeah from even that sort of perspective it's uh, really awesome um to see such a haunting beautiful sort of film that's playing so much social commentary yeah. at the same time very very rare really cool yeah yeah i i, I remember like i had the same kind of reaction really i came out with with it like really i just i kind of almost fell in love with it really i think it's as and as i said at the beginning of our chat it's i strongly feel it's a forgotten gem 
Um, I highly recommend people check it out. It's yeah. it's it's an interesting yeah, take. I mean, absolutely, yeah, especially if they like. Uh, I, I'd say probably more that sort of psychological thriller. Yeah. And, and the idea would say, yeah, it's not bats flying or the people turning into battle. I'm going to suck it up. Like, <laughs> um, or Legosi stuff. It's um, it's it's much more of a commentary about the characters because yeah. you could sit down and write a thesis about each of these individual characters, yeah. even if it's just Tom Savini's character yeah. and. Uh, and what you're presented with, with the imagery and the text of the world, um, like, uh, mythos aside or, or yeah, yeah, supernatural aside. Um, yeah, I, I think it worked really well as well for the way, like the medium was shot on 16 millimeter or whatever it was. Yes, that grainy look. Yes, I agree. When Monty Python did Holy Grail. Yeah, they made it feel like it was dirty. This yes. feels like it's gritty. It's it does. Yeah. And it gives that kind of like whole fly in the wall kind of feel as you're, you know, you're, and it does, it feels, you know, the, I mean, it's filmed in Pittsburgh as well, which has that kind of gritty kind of, because it's a very industrial town. Yeah. Um, so it has that kind of real gritty kind of feel to it anyway, because of the location, um, which lends itself to that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do, as I said, I recommend people people watch it is it i feel like it uh, to repeat myself again is a bit of a forgotten gem a um, diamond in the rough a diamond Absolutely. in the rough that's right and i've and i've noticed as well when i've been kind of going back over romero's work a lot of these films do feel that way too you know they have this kind of uh raw appeal to them which um it's it is worth kind of i think he was more than just uh, about the dead films personally Absolutely, it would have been really good to see him like uh, uh, have a, a different take. Even like I had sense of Magnolia towards yeah. the end. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It would have been cool to see him go. Okay, yeah, here's a another scriptwriter's sort of deep uh, idea, or even a collection of monologues, and sort of yeah, interpret a world around this and make something uh, like that. I need to have a look at more of his films because I saw Night of the Living Dead recently, yep. and I was I was taken aback at. at how much it was the pioneer of the what I was seeing happening on screen, going, yeah, oh, this yeah. is the first trope of like he, hell, even having a black man as the the lead, yeah. killing off your 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 main character, like you know three quarters of the way through, like you know, is in um, the killing off the main character right at the end, like so everyone dies, and yeah. it's really cool to see those things as well as on top of that the first zombie or or dead walker yep. band spun off an entire. The genre that more people made money out of than yeah. him, really, when you look at yeah. what he could have had potential to do. And it's surprising that he wasn't picked up and, and, and put into more uh, accolades with this being the, um, you know, the, the, the Kickstarter by saying, yeah, look what he can do with, with a, a big budget. This could have been amazing with a couple of... Yeah, yeah. The, well, the, um, the film itself was... Uh, so there was... Um, Sorry, the producer behind it, uh, Richard Rubenstein, uh, uh, back in 2010 was hinting at trying to get a remake off the ground of it. So it would be interesting to see that happen. Um, I think it's always done by a passionate indie sort of uh, crew. um, Like, you know, someone that's, yeah, not going to to destroy either that or doing it like a Netflix season show. Something yeah. where you can flesh out each of those characters. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to see it done as a maybe like as a just one season long though, you know, without like a ten ten episode arc maybe. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, sorry, you were about to say something. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, like, um, I, I watched recently the um, all of the uh, Psycho movies. Ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, a surprisingly good collection, uh, bar the fifth film, like Base Motel, like a... Uh, also, yeah. too, when we did um, the It uh, podcast, yes. um, I had no idea that, um, oh, what was her name, uh, was in that. Yeah, yeah, the the, the girl that plays um, uh, Billy. The girl from Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, oh, yeah. She was um, Mrs. Bates. Yeah, that's right. Yes, she was. In, yeah, Mrs. In... Bates to Elliot from E.T. as Norman yeah, Bates. Yeah, um, that's right. Mm. That's right. But, yeah. <laughs> There's a TV show. I haven't seen the TV show, but I've heard good things, and it looks like it'd be cool. Yeah. And it seems like what you could do with those characters, because I yeah. sort of like that sort of arc of character for, for a Norman Bates. It'd be cool to see something like uh, Martin, where you have a lot of potential for a new uh, writer, set of collection of writers and, mm. and, and directors and filmmakers to flesh this out on something like um, Hulu or, or Netflix. Yeah, or, yeah. Stan to sort of go, yeah, well, here's a, 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 a nice... Not maybe not you know Stranger Things size. Yeah, yeah. Gives you a chance to play and and, and enough room to be creative. Yeah, well. I think so. I think there's something there, mate. I think there's something there. Well, uh, maybe if any of those producers listen to this podcast, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gionic uh, yeah, son. Um, cool. Oh, well, I think on that note, uh, we should probably kind of bow out for the uh, our podcast discussions on Martin. Um, yeah. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, as always, Richard, on these things. So thank you for coming on board. No, thank um, you. Thank you so much for letting me make me watch this amazing movie. <laughs> Not a worry. Uh, and yeah, like I say, just if you haven't seen this out there, if you're listening, go check it out. It's a, it's a good little gem. And um, and stick around as well, because there are going to be some more kind of Romero films that we're going to be talking about along along the way as we, as I said, pay homage in this current season. Uh, until next time, um, I'm your host, Saul Murthy, and as I said, was joined by Richard Lovegrove. See you later! Goodbye! You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Music supplied by Peter Nezik. For more discussions or podcasts, head over to surgeonsofhorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.